And all the people said, Amen. Thank you so much. What a blessing it is to worship this morning. And uh, what a feast this morning. Thank you all. Uh, Don for filling in, uh, choir. Um, it's just been a blessing at every turn. Um, Jan and Barbara for filling in. Jan, I'd rather have Jesus. Did you hear that? And a little bit of the love of God and a few other things I'm not sure I recognized altogether. Uh, mixed in there as well. A feast, a feast. And then Don and Chris, people need the Lord. Uh, is that not a testimony we need to hear and, and um, so beautifully shared with us? And the spirit of it matched the beauty of it. I'm so grateful I was here to worship with you this morning. I still, I remember where I was when I heard that song, Don, some, some years ago, People Need the Lord. Uh, I was preaching to a bunch of preachers way out in the country. Now that I think of it, I hope I do better with y'all than I did with them um, some years ago. But it's good to be with you. You look uh, well this morning. Look pretty good this morning. Well, well, God bless, God bless. Y'all are... Uh, I didn't say you had good judgment, I just said you look good, yeah, yeah. but all that to say, uh, I suppose you look better than you would have looked if things hadn't turned out in the ball game last night, right, or am I just preaching to me this morning, right, but I'm, uh, I'm glad that you are here, and you're looking strong and good, because I've got a task for you, I've got a long passage to share and uh, an extended story, it's going to require your patience and following along. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 17, there is in the first verses of chapter 17 a, a sort of long extended parable uh, with lots of coded language tied into the political intrigue of the day. I'd like you to read with me the interpretation of that starting in verse 11. There's a long way to go to get to this story. If you start with Abraham and God calling him, then you see that God makes of him a great people. He delivers that people from slavery out of Egypt. He gives that people a law. He, in time, gives that people a land like he'd promised, making true on his promises to Abraham all that long ago. He's used Moses and then uses David, he gives these people in their land a, a kingship, but then the nation divides into two. One nation in the north turns aside from him and is punished with a devastating punishment. The world empire, Assyria, comes and swallows them up and spits them out. It is a devastating, devastating judgment. The southern nation is spared, but only for a time, it seems, they struggle with faith and faithfulness themselves. And then God brings another world empire, even greater than the first, Babylon. And Babylon humiliates the nation of Judah. And in this coded language, one eagle, one eagle that stands for a great empire is Babylon, and another eagle is Egypt. But in the intrigue that follows, here's what we're dealing with. Babylon has come and humiliated 
Judah, taken its king, Jehoiakim, and taken him as an exile and captive back to Babylon. He's taken the leadership, Nebuchadnezzar, taken the leadership around him off to Babylon as well. He's put in his place a puppet king who will do what he wants, named Zedekiah. And there's images of plants assigned to both of these folk. Zedekiah is just a little sprig off of a vine that he wants to grow toward himself and be loyal to him and to do his bidding so he can control this fussy nation with the least amount of resources. But Zedekiah later on has different ideas. And he courts another great eagle in the coded language of the story, our empire, Egypt. And he thinks maybe Egypt is going to get him out of this mess. And so here we are in the political intrigue of empires and trading influence and hoping to garner the help of one to face the threat of another. And on it goes and on it goes. But Ezekiel says that all of this is for naught. God is going to punish the nation, but punishment is not the end. And now another gardener image dominates the last two verses of the chapter. Will you read along with me, starting in 11? Then the word of the Lord came to me, say now to this rebellious house, do you not know these, what these things mean? Tell them that the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem, took its king and its officials, and brought them back with him to Babylon. He took one of the royal offspring and made him a covenant with him, put him under the oath. He had taken away the chief men of the land. He took that oath so that the kingdom might be humbled and might not lift up itself. And by keeping his covenant, it might stand. But he, that's Zedekiah, rebelled against him by sending ambassadors to Egypt in order that he might get, they might give him horses and a large ar army. Notice the mocking. Will this succeed? Can one escape when one does such things? Can he break the covenant and yet escape? As I live, says the Lord God, surely in the place where the king resides, who made him king, the, whose oath he despised, and whose covenant with him he broke, in Babylon he shall die. Not much of a destiny for him. Pharaoh, with his mighty army and great company, will not help him in war when the ramps are cast up. And the siege walls are built to cut off many lives. And that's exactly the image that some of you Bible readers remember when Jerusalem falls. This happens because he has despised his oath and broke the covenant because he gave his hand and yet did all these things, he shall not escape. Notice in the next verses, though, God seems to maybe have more than just the disappointment with Zedekiah not to take the punishment God has for them and try to 
solve it by political intrigue and so on. There seems to be a personal sort of offense that Zedekiah has offered as well. Verse 19, Therefore, thus says the Lord, As I live, I will surely return upon his head my oath that he despised and my covenant that he broke. Notice how personal it is. My, 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 the Lord keeps repeating. I will spread my net over him and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon and enter into judgment uh, with him there for the treason he has committed against me. All the pick of his troops shall fall flat by the sword and the survivors shall be scattered to every wind and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken. It's an ominous sign that will one day vindicate the truthfulness of this prophecy. Now, Zedekiah and his strategy is scolded by this prophet Ezekiel. He's not discerned what God has said truly through the prophets. He has tried his own political fix to get around the punishment that God has for them. It's not going to work. But I need you to look at the image in chapter in verse 22. There God is pictured as a gardener. Not the gardener eagle of Babylon or not the gardener in Egypt and their strategies for how to cultivate these clippings. But another gardener, and this is what God does. Verse 22, thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar and I will set it out. I will break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. Not back there in Babylon where the, uh, it's called the, there in the coded language, the city of merchants. Not back there. But in this lofty mountain, we think probably Zion or Jerusalem, right? On the mountain high of Israel, I will plant it. In order that I may produce uh, boughs and, break, and bear fruit and become a noble cedar, under it, under this great cedar tree, under it every kind of bird will live and in the shade of its branches will rest winged creatures of every kind, and all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I will bring low the high tree and make the high the low tree, and I will drive the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will accomplish this. morning I want to ask you to think with me about a couple of matters I won't drag you through the political intrigue or hardly drag you through it again but the message is this Ezekiel is trying to tell this people their destiny their future is not in their hands and they can't fix it according to political in turnings of this direction and that destiny and so on and what seems like maybe a, a kind of a, a shrewd play to try to get out from the kind of grip of these Babylonians 
uh, th it seems like maybe uh, on an earthly sort of uh, mindset we could forgive them, but he has ignored what Ezekiel and others have said, and that is that God is going to punish this wayward people and take them through this hardship. But notice, I just want you to see this morning, the story does not end with God's punishment of exile. The story goes on, and in the imagery of these gardeners, now God is the gardener, and God takes what may look comet, comic if you think about the world scale of empires and how big Babylon is and how big Egypt is and how these big monsters and mammoths of the world rule so much of the world. But the gardener that is God is going to take this little clipping from that cedar tree. The hope that God had through David and the covenant of Abraham being carried forward all the way along. God is not over with that, not through with that. And he might punish those people, but that is not the end of his program. And Babylon and the great empires and the ruling eagles of the world, they will not determine the destiny of this people. God will take this little cutting, but it's cut from the right stuff. It's cut from David's destiny. And he's going to take it and plant it. And one day it's going to grow. And one day its grandeur will create a whole other environment. This is yet again one more picture in the Bible of where we're heading and the destiny of the world where God's cutting grows into a magnificent tree. This tree gives shade and shelter, becomes the habitat of a whole new environment around it, and all the other trees sort of find their place. And those who think they're rivals to God will be cut down, and those who are weak and depend upon God and trust Him, they know they don't have their own strength, they're going to find a place in this new arrangement, this new forest, this new environment underneath the big, big solid tree. I just want to share with you this image at the end of the chapter. I want you to see with me this image of hope that God takes this little cutting and he grows it into something magnificent. This is the destiny of the world. It's been present in our story all along. Just go over the people I mentioned this morning. Abraham, how's he fathered anything? He, he's fatherless, right? But God takes what seems like perhaps the most feeble of promises and circumstances and creates his good work. We skip maybe Moses into my telling of it, but he runs away from this place as a murderer disqualified, and yet God puts him right back into the game. David seems like he's no one before God touches him. Remember when Samuel went and looked over his family, they didn't even bother to bring the little runt David in from the field. You remember that? And God took that little shepherd, boy 
and made him the great King David. And now out of that family tree, this family tree that God has been keeping up and going all along, he's bringing another cutting from that same tree. I think we're to see Jesus as that sort of true son and expression of David's seed that one day God uses to build the great, great tree of his kingdom and the world will be drawn to this place and find its place before this great, great son of David. Now is this magnificent tree giving shelter and purpose and the world finds its future and its destiny around what God does with this remarkable tree. Jesus looks like this little cutting, right? People look at him and they, they just can't imagine he's the one, right? Uh, and even if you later saw his active ministry, if you didn't maybe grow up with him or whatever, and you see his active ministry, you, you might have reason to believe. But remember, even those who saw his miracles, also some of those very same people saw him nailed to a cross, and yield his life and really genuinely die, it looked so feeble. And yet it's the centerpiece of what God's doing. I want to encourage you to build your life and to yield your service to God, to serve this church and to represent Christ wherever you go, whether it's you being pliable to God's direction, to helping somebody along the way, as we heard this morning, uh, are you serving in a Sunday school class? I just want to tell you, you may wonder sometimes, is what I'm offering, is it of substance? When I look at the grandeur of the world and those people who look so strong, the Babylons of this world who seem to be so strong and mighty and ruling with such efficiency, and they don't seem to have time for God at all. What is my offering? What is my co contribution? What is my coming to church? What is my teaching this class? What is my prayer to do? And I just want to tell you, I just want to tell you, your faith is well-placed if you're betting and trusting and aligning yourself with what God has done in Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you, there's good reason to believe now in Jesus Christ when more people are worshiping Jesus Christ around the whole globe than ever before. I just want to say to you that that tree is built and planted and underway and giving shade to more people than we ever dreamed possible. So many people are finding hope, but even when they find it and where they find it, it seems at times so feeble and frail. I've spoken to somebody recently who hid when the authorities knocked on the door. And they hid him in a secret compartment because if they'd found him there as a Christian teacher, he would have probably not been hurt, maybe a little handled rough as they drug him out of the apartment, but he'd just been shipped home. But the leaders of that church in that little apartment, they would have been sent to prison for two years. That's not some fiction from long ago. That's a reality right here in this world today. And yet people would risk because they see the hope and promise that this 
new project, this new cutting that God has done. It's a fulfillment and and it's a satisfaction of the old, but it's this new thing that God has done. This great work in Christ is the destiny of the world. That's where the world is heading. That's the hope of the world. And I just want to tell you, don't you be overcome. Don't you be discouraged. Because the smallest of gifts and the simplest of acts of faith are things that God uses to bring his great purpose to a conclusion. There's people who are still betting against Christianity. They'll say the violence of uh, the Muslim world in Africa will uh, crush out so much Christianity in, 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 uh, in Africa. They're saying uh, the, the communists are going to buckle down and they're going to uh, start uh, really persecuting Christians. It, it seems that's very much the case at places. I'm very sad to tell you. Uh, there, there are people who are still saying this just can't stand. We just can't stand against the empires and so on. But just let me tell you, through history, the empires have come and gone. But what is still growing and what is still going is God's purpose in Jesus Christ. And you hold on and you be true and you offer what you have in allegiance. You are on the right track. You are, uh, you are doing what the world needs. And the world's hope is the shadow cast and the strength offered by this great, great thing that God has done. A cedar so magnificent upon this mountain in Zion, and the world comes and finds its home there. That's the picture. Notice the image is not this. We're not going to build an empire so we can rule over those others like they ruled us. That's not the scenario. No, we come and we find our place before this great, great project of God. And we invite other people. We're not going to be their lords. We're inviting them to share in the lordship that rules over us. It's God's great project, and people from everywhere are going to be brought to find their place and their reverence. It's a different image of the end, I grant you, uh, in this uh, figure and and in this parable, but it is a profound image. It's one that's offered through the Psalms a good bit, and uh, early on in the Psalms, you don't get to a couple of chapters, and you have this image of the tree. I think at one time, if I'm not mistaken, I shared this image with a handful of you on, on one Sunday, e- a Wednesday evening in prayer meeting. If you'll permit me or forgive me, I'll offer it again. A strong tree is a mighty image. You just happen to live in a place where you have some magnificent trees. You don't have to go very far, and we can find some oak trees around here that are just staggering. I remember very vividly once a car gets out of hand and a little hot riding going on and down the street from where we eventually, Debbie and I, would move across from the elementary school where she attended. This car gets out of, uh, out of hand and runs up in the yard and ends up against a tree. Now that's back, you know, I'm old enough that cars were cars. You know, they were made of metal and they were heavy. Remember that? They were big. They're about the, twice the size of a car today, right? 
And that tree didn't look very big to me. But the impression that made to me as a young man is this. That tree held up very good against that car. Now, I don't know what the destiny of that, how badly that tree was injured and so on, but I know for the immediate frame, the car came to a very abrupt stop. And what looked to me to be a fairly small tree exhibited a strength that was beyond anything I could have imagined as a young boy. I just want to tell you, it's a beautiful image. God is growing something profound and great, and this cutting is going to bring this great cedar tree. It's going to give shadow. The world's going to find its, the creatures are going to find its place in there. The, the world's going to be drawn to it. They're going to all find that this is the purpose. It's what God is planting. It's the gardening that God does that's important. That's the destiny of the world. That's where things are heading. And I just want to tell you, that's the future. That's the future. Be faithful and true and stay on task. Don't be discouraged. Don't get distracted. Stay on task. This is how the world ends. And this is how you minister to the world. By believing in God's purpose and by serving and by following and by seeking. And so the weird experiment I have for you is this. I don't know if I want to go public. I'm not sure I'll deny this if you'll tell, tell anybody else or whatever. This is not for public consumption, maybe. But I don't want it to be misunderstood. But can I just challenge you to do something today or tomorrow? Would you just put your hand on the trunk of a tree? And don't get all funny on me. I'm not, we're not, I'm not asking you to be a tree hugger or anything else. I mean, there's all kinds of, and we're not uh, in a cult where we're celebrating or worshiping trees. But I did this once at someone's suggestion. It meant a lot to me, and I'm going to ask you to do it. Just put your hand on the trunk of a tree. Just sense a little bit. Just for a moment. I'm not asking you to stay there 10 minutes. I'm just trying to say to you, have the experience. And just for a moment, sense the strength that is there. And just see if the Lord doesn't put in your heart a prayer. God, let my faith grow strong. God, let me trust in you. God, build a great tree for all the world to come and find shade under. See if God doesn't prompt a prayer just with the image of the strength of the tree and the tangible experience of touching it. It's a beautiful image. It's an image worth giving your life to. And if you're here this morning and you've never ever made your peace with Jesus Christ, you've you're here, so you probably heard the story of how this cutting from the tree is the Son of God, and He's come into this world, and He's lived, and He's taught, and that's who Jesus is. He's taught us who God is. He's finally taken the burden of sin and taken it upon Himself, and He's on this other tree. Very interesting. Don't uh, the, the theologians didn't uh, uh, skip over it. I just don't have time for it today. But he, he takes His place on this other tree, right? And He makes possible 
we be forgiven and our lives be renewed and that no matter what we've been through here and what dogs us and drags us here, we can, if we put our faith in him, belong and have a place one day when the world gathers around the victor and the restorer of the world and God makes his creation right and brings his worshipers near. And one day your destiny will be to find your place before the God who has proven and established his purpose beyond all question. I just want to say to you, don't stay on the fringes of faith any longer. Come and believe. And in the meantime, I want to ask you not to disparage simplicity. Remember God's plan playing out right in front of us all over the world looks like this. A simple little beginning of faith. But that faith is nurtured by God to be added to the great victory of God. I want to call you to faithfulness this day. Shall we pray together? Gracious Father, would you use this strange image in Scripture to inform us? And God, may we find our trust and our hope and our lives, not in the politics of the, the Bible's age or even the politics of today, but we, may we find our hope and our confidence, Lord, in your purpose and your victory. And so, God, call us and stir us to serve faithfully and to fix our hope. And, God, I just pray, would you let what you do in our hearts Stir the people around us, and may others be brought to this place. And God, I pray, grow us and sustain us as a church family. Let our hearts be fixed on the truth of the gospel and the certainty of your victory. And God, I just pray that this image of this great, great tree and its shadow and its life would give us hope. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.